Hey everybody, welcome back to an episode of Cows and Canoes. My name is Brandon. This is Nick. And introduce yourself, sir. I'm Jackson Lawmeyer. Oh, full name. All right, full guys. Name. Stock him, it's fine. Uh, first off, nobody listens to this, so it's totally fine. <laughs> um, so Jackson is um, a pastor of a uh, local church. Um, if you want to get into that for a quick second, the uh, it's Sheridan Church. Yeah, I'm the pastor details. of Sheridan Church uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, we want to talk kind of the, the big picture a little bit first. So first, um, let's get into you. So how long, I know this church has been kind of a new, uh, you know, kind of uh, build up there. How long have you actually been with the Sheridan Church uh, over there? So Sheridan Church has actually been around 69 years okay. in the Tulsa area. I came in in 2015 when I was finishing up my master's at Old Roberts University. I was the youth pastor uh, okay. at Sheridan for a very short season, uh, <laughs> but then came back in 2017 in January mm -hmm. as the uh, lead pastor. So okay. since January of 2017, one day after, or two days before, excuse me, President Trump was inaugurated into okay. office as president, I became the pastor of Sheridan. Okay. So that kind of gives you the you easiest way get how a you demarcation know when the date is. Of yeah, I, yeah. yeah. All right. I like it. Um, okay. So... You, you started out at ORU then, right? Obviously, ORU um, is, is a you know, pretty good-sized college here in town for anybody yeah. that doesn't live in the Tulsa area. Um, so you got your master's. Was it in uh, pastoral work, or did you go with something else? No, so I went to Old Roberts University as a freshman. Started there in business. Okay. Uh, always a dream to be a business owner. Actually, leading up to that, I had owned a lawn care a hauling service, and I had a uh, sports website that was kind of going in. So as I entered into college, I was already in business, wanted to uh, stay in business, but I felt the Lord redirect me into uh, ministry. Didn't know what that exactly would look like. And so I went over into an area that I'm just interested in. I love history. Sure. And so I did a bachelor's degree in church history and okay. really, really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. So learned. when you say church history, and just for clarification, obviously there's um, a lot of broad concept there. So mm -hmm. um, when you say church history, do you mean just mainly the Christian church, or they're like big, broad? What do you, what do you, what is? No, well, church, church history, history the, the history of Christianity. Okay, essentially, okay. Um, that's that was the overarching theme of the degree. Obviously, there was biblical studies, there was mm. theological studies, philosophical, all, all right, that right. kind of was a part of it. And so whenever I finished my bachelor's degree at ORU. Uh, I went ahead and went forward with a master's degree in theological and historical studies. Okay. And so that's what I did my master's in. And then from there, it was while I was finishing up my master's mm -hmm. that I was the uh, student pastor at Sheridan. Before there, I was a student pastor at another church in the Tulsa area. Okay. And then went over to Sheridan. And then once I finished my master's degree, I went off with a very large ministry mm -hmm. that was a kind of traveling event ministry, put on big events. So, um, like, uh, when you say traveling event ministry, and the only thing that can come to my head is, like, the guys that set up tents and they do the old, So, like essentially like that, but instead of tents, we would do, uh, like, the BOK Center. Okay. Or we would do, we did Atlanta, and we did Oklahoma City. So, big arenas yeah. uh, here in the United States. Okay. So, you did a arena tours already. Yes, arena that, that, tours. Hey, listen, man, there's bands hey, that can't fun. do that, all right? It was fun. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. So then um, you get into the Sheridan Church uh, concept in, uh, you said, 2017, right? 2017. So with that, how big was it when you got there? How, like so, in your specific congregation? Yeah, not, whenever I, I arrived at uh, Sheridan, 
what happened was church life is like business life. Right. And it's kind of the roller coaster or the yo-yo. You know, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes you're in the middle. And whenever my wife, Kendra, and I stepped in at Sheridan, it was during a downtime. Okay. Um, Sheridan was located in a part of town that 69 years ago was the thriving area of the city. Well, as times change, yes, uh, the area of the city that was once thriving mm-hmm. uh, is barely surviving. Right. And so the congregation uh, had kind of also moved away. So most of the people who were attending Sheridan were commuters. They were driving oh. 25 minutes or so just to come to church because they had been there yeah, 50, yeah. 60 years. Right, right. So whenever we arrived, there was about 40 members left. Okay, so on, small. That an point. auditorium that said you could put about 1,200 in there. Oh, with 40 people? Yeah. 40 people and that's 40 people as a membership um not that doesn't mean that doesn't mean yeah, everybody yeah. shows up <laughs> yeah, right. on you know what right. i'm saying so, so sometimes you're preaching nearly to an empty room yeah, yeah and that was kind that. of the starting point the average age oh it was probably about 73 74 with Heard. no kids no yeah. kids in the church that, so that's with him there yeah yeah heard yeah that, that was it was an interesting season uh, but it was good. It was a stretching season, yeah. And we came out of it stronger because of it. But like mm-hmm. I said, it's the ebbs and flow sure. of church life. Sometimes, uh, you know, the place is jam packed. So and other times it's not. Let's jump into uh, the theory there behind growing a congregation. Mm-hmm. Whenever, you know, um, I I always talk about this. Like this is a very very simple concept, right? With churches here in Oklahoma, you know, there are a dime a dozen. There are churches everywhere. literally everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the good examples Nick and I were talking about before you got here was if you took, you know, let's just call it, you know, a chicken restaurant in every church spot right now, you would have so many chicken restaurants oh, yeah. nobody could survive, right? That's just there it'd be way overflow in the concept. Now obviously that's gonna be a physical good versus right. obviously, you know, a culture and everything else. Um so I mean that that makes all the difference. I get that. But what do you do to turn that around whenever there are so many other options, whenever somebody sure. can go literally a block away, five blocks away, two miles away, five miles away, and they're going to hit 20 churches before yeah. they hit your 25-minute drive? What did you do, you think, differently to turn that into a uh, a setup that now you have a much larger fellowship? Like, how many people are actually in your congregation now? It's it's pretty hefty Over amount. Over 200. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's four times as much in three years. That's, right. That's a lot. Sure. So it's good. What do you do to, to do that? Well, the honest answer is everything we did hindered it. God stepped in and did a miracle. Okay. There was absolutely nothing on our end that actually caused anything to grow. Everything that we tried caused it to kind of So what did shrink. you try? Well, we did all kinds of mm-hmm. things that you would think to do. I don't um, even know what I was in regards so. <laughs> to. There's obviously practical things that you have like to flyers do. and mailers. Yeah, you do and flyers and mailers, and you do Facebook and okay, and you do all kinds of stuff. You do you do all kinds of stuff. You do your part, mm-hmm. and then you understand that God takes care of the rest. When it comes to church growth, it's a very very simple process. It's mm-hmm. probably oversimplified, but it's very very simple. You do your part, and God's the one who brings the growth. You okay. can do everything right. You can do absolutely everything right right when it comes to church growth mm-hmm. and have no church growth at all. You can also do everything wrong <laughs> and still grow and still grow. Okay. And so now that doesn't mean you strive to say, well, I'm going to screw this up intentionally. Mm-hmm. You know, you do sure. your very best and you do what the Lord commands you to do and tells you to do. And he'll give you mm-hmm. creative, innovative ideas. And so with us, the things that you would just naturally think to do, 
like we should advertise or we should uh, do X, Y, or Z. Those things really didn't work. We did them. Sure. Those things really didn't work. They brought in some people, but those people who came in for those reasons, such mm-hmm. as um, a good Facebook ad or because we uh, updated mm-hmm. something in the building, those people came in for those reasons, but they didn't stay. Yeah, so right, right. What, so true. what you yeah. catch somebody with, uh, you have to continually feed them in order for them to stay. Sure. So if you catch them with glamour, mm-hmm. When the glamour washes away, which it always does, yep. all of a sudden those people who came for what you'd call the wrong reason sure. uh, don't stick around for the long mm-hmm. haul. Yeah, And so that's why I say when it comes to like what's the secret recipe for growing a church, which we have done. Thankfully, mm-hmm. uh, we have done that, and God's been very good in that. I don't think there is a secret recipe. Okay. I really don't. When it comes to church life, there is obviously a business side to the church. Mm-hmm. You have to handle the ministry, and you have to steward the finances, and you have to steward the growth, and all those things that come with it. You have to do that. There's the business, and I'm thankful mm-hmm. that before I became a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, I was in the business world. Sure. So I had some understandings that I didn't have to necessarily learn mm-hmm. on the fly. There how was to, a lot of learning to it. Without debt, yeah. Right. There was a lot of learning to it. But I had some basic principles and some mm-hmm. basic foundations for sure um, that were already operating in my life that I kind of uh, put forth in the organization. So there's kind of two sides to it. So let's go with the uh, the first original point of what you were talking about is it was uh, very heavily dependent on location. It was not mm-hmm. a great location where not you originally great started at all. Um, do you think changing because you guys changed locations mm-hmm. twice, right? You were in a temporary home for a little while, and then you actually got your more permanent location now. Is that right? Yeah. Well, so we're on a temporary home. Right right now as okay, well. Okay. But it's a it's a good stable. We'll be here for several years. Okay, so. right. So whenever we were at um, Second and Sheridan in Tulsa, mm-hmm. uh, we experienced good growth. We did a lot of things. We remodeled uh, the auditorium, updated. It was built in 1951. It looked like it was built in 1951. <laughs> and like uh, we, we updated it. We did all the things that you're supposed to do. Um, we rebranded, so it was Sheridan Christian Center. We simplified it to Sheridan.Church, so the website mm-hmm. being www.sheridan.Church. So we, we did all the business things that sure. you should do, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying whenever you put your hope and your relying on those things mm-hmm. in church world, it doesn't really work like that. Right. So... Uh, we did all the things that we should do, mm-hmm. and I'm glad we did. Um, we leaned on them very heavily, and they backfired because at Second and Shared, we actually did grow. We, okay. we grew there, um, but it wasn't long-haul growth. Mm-hmm. It was growth of, oh, something new is happening, buildings being redone, all these kind of things right, right, that right. are attracting people. Yeah. And then, yeah, then we just recognized Mm -hmm. uh, it was a new season coming for the church. Church had been there 68 years, which is a long time for a, at the time, 26-year-old to say, we're going to move this church. Yeah, yeah, I bet that went well. It, uh, you know, you'd be surprised it actually went really well. People were on board, huh? Well, because there were so few (laughs) remaining who had (laughs) been there for a long, long time. (laughs) And the majority of the people uh, who were at Sheridan at that point were new. Okay. They were new people. They didn't have um, any nostalgia mm, you know, fair enough, to fair the building enough. or yeah, anything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. And so we we moved from Second Sheridan out to a dance theater in Broken Arrow, which was a great season. We were there six months, and we grew there. Okay. Uh, we grew there as well. 
but for some of the reasons of growth was it was something new. Yep. And so people and the they newness wears off. Uh-huh. So in Tulsa there's a saying that a lot of church go- goers are like granola, very flaky. They just they're just <laughs> all over the place, you know. That's why I was wondering where you're going with that for a second. You like see, granola. You see church attendance figures and membership mm-hmm. numbers within the city and they're inflated. Okay. Because so many people have membership at so many of these churches. They yeah. just hop around. I've been here, I've been, been here, here, I've been, been there, here. been there. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why we were a new thing in mm-hmm. Broken Arrow. And you had new people come just sure. to check it out because it's a new thing. That's it. And so, but we had some people who were there for the right reasons and they stayed. And then we moved uh, again last year, almost a year to this date here. Awesome. Um, we moved September the 1st, was our first Sunday at 41st and Sheridan, where right. we are right now. And it's been more stable. Yeah. It's been um, very consistent. And so the church is continuing to grow. And we do our part. It's a beautiful building. I mean, okay. it's it's a beautiful building. It's state-of-the-art in regards to the technology. All those things are good. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure we have all those things because we want to do everything with excellence. But the issue that you run into... Mm-hmm within a church is you begin to depend upon those things. Absolutely. And that is where you have to make sure you autocorrect sometimes because those things can attract people. For the sure. lights, the music, mm-hmm. you know, just all the it's different flashy, things. Yeah. It's flashy yeah, it's and show. we love flashy things. Yep, yep. Um, and so those bring short-term growth, but it's not long-term. And so as a mm-hmm. church, we're going for the long-term. So we Absolutely. have grown. We've gone from um, a very older congregation mm-hmm. with a about 40 people to a much much diverse congregation young and old Good. Um, with now over 200 people okay so um, when we're jumping into that aspect of it right and we're talking about the growth as a whole mm-hmm. um, you know one of the things that's really interesting is like what is it that you think sets you guys apart and actually keeps people because you know, again, if you if you you know throw this into a restaurant concept, is that everybody's going to show up on coupon day, but they're not going to show up sure. any other day of the week, right? right? Um, so that's a very misnomer in the restaurant industry. Is like if we coupon, we got really busy. Like <laughs> yes, but only whenever we had the coupon. Nobody else cares whenever it's not. Right. Right. So what did you do differently? You think to actually grab a hold of people? Yeah. So and that's the backdoor syndrome that you have at a church mm-hmm. is they come in the front door. And they exit the back door, yep. and you don't see them again. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, well, how do we close the back door? And there's a number that floats around within church growth um, circles mm-hmm. that you essentially are looking to retain. A good good number is twelve percent. So if you of have a, everybody that shows up, if you have a hundred, if seats. you have a hundred people walk through your doors, mm-hmm. and you can keep twelve of them. Um, in your midst, you're very successful. If you're less than 10%, you're in trouble. Mm. Because 10% is kind of attrition. People who just, they get a new job. So they move move cities. Not because they're mad at the church. They just move cities. People who pass away. You know, sometimes you get older and you move on. Mm -hmm. Or people who just get mad at the church and leave. Sure. Uh, So you have kind of a 10% revolving door at all times within your church. Okay. 10% of your people are coming in and coming out. So if you're hitting 12%, you're growing. 
Okay. If you're at 15%, you're booming. If you're keeping 15 out of the 100 new people that are coming in the doors, you're so booming. How do you gauge those percentages, though? I mean, I know there's sign-in sheets people can do. Mm-hmm. I know there's all kinds of different ways. How do you guys actually uh, gauge what your, your percentage is? So what we do is we try to have people fill out a Connect card or we'll have them text the number. Um, you know, you'll text this number. And technology just, once again. Mm-hmm, technology once again to make it easier mm-hmm. on people and all those different types of things. So as a ministry, we're above that 10% number, thankfully. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that's kind of your demarcation number mm-hmm. is if you're below 10%, you're dying. If mm-hmm. you're above 10%, you're growing. If you're at 10%, you're stagnant. So let's get into uh, a different piece of that same conversation. Okay. So um, in the restaurant industry, obviously, you know, you visit other restaurants that are actually doing well, that are busy when you're not. And your question is, what are they doing differently than mm-hmm. I am? Um, do you do, I don't want to call it reconnaissance work because it's not really reconnaissance, but do you go to other places and say, okay, oh, yeah. these guys that are booming over here, they're doing great. What are they doing differently? What can I learn from these guys? Yeah, so the old adage, you don't reinvent the wheel. Right. You know, you don't reinvent the wheel, but also you have to be careful that you're true to who you are. Absolutely. Um, and which in, in the restaurant industry, it's going to be the same way. Mm-hmm. You don't change up your recipe no, right. uh, to copy somebody else's recipe just mm-hmm. because they're succeeding in that moment. You stick true to your recipe. But there are some things that maybe they're doing in regards to advertising. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's some things they're doing in regards to the culture mm-hmm. uh, within the building. But the recipe that you have, mm-hmm. you stick to your recipe. Right. So same way with church life. Uh, we look at what other churches are doing that are well in regards to culture, lobby life, in regards to kids ministry, in regards mm-hmm. to technology, in regards to the advertising. We look at all those things and we say they're doing a really good job at that. Maybe we should try that as well. Not right. everything, but yeah, we yeah, try it. But in regards to the core of who we are, mm-hmm. we're not out scouting what other right, churches right, are right. doing in the the core. Our recipe mm-hmm. is is the same. We keep our recipe but we also do look for ways to innovate and to grow. Okay, good. So let's let's uh, shift gears for a second then, right? So um, a lot of people don't have um, a deep understanding of uh, church processes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we're going to get into tithing. Tithing is basically what makes a church run, right, mm-hmm. in theory. Absolutely. Um, just like a restaurant pays a server, like nothing in general, but and then the, the tipping that, that, yep. that actually make it happen. That's how churches survive as well. Um, so... Let's say, you know, somebody comes to, you know, your your uh, church itself and, uh, you know, they tie, they do all the good stuff, all that kind of stuff. Um, what happens to it from there for anybody who's a layman? Not so much mm-hmm. uh, just, oh, well, we use it for stuff. But like if you were going to explain to somebody how you take the tithe, you put it in a bank account and we automatically assume it for this or like what what's the process from there? Yeah. So essentially you're asking, how does the church generate revenue? And right. then what does it do in regards to the expenses? Yeah, of how do you how, how do you do we plan the, the mm-hmm. everything comes up? So our revenue, the bulk of it, does come from uh, giving in regards mm-hmm. to somebody making a donation to the church. Obviously, we sell products. We have merchandise. Sure, yeah. We have other things like that that bring in revenue. We rent out our facilities. Uh, there's other ways as a ministry that mm-hmm. you can bring in revenue. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of it comes from your congregation. And so whenever people give... 
-hmm. it goes into essentially a bank account. Right. And then from there, we have our fixed expenses. We right. have things such as electricity and insurance mm -hmm. and just the basic among basic right, right. things. Yeah, keep the lights on. Got to keep the lights on. We like AC as well in the summertime. <laughs> and we like, it's you know. Oklahoma, right. absolutely. And so you always have things like maintenance. You've mm -hmm. just got stuff that's always happening. Sure. And then you have events that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so as a church, you're always having something mm -hmm. kind of going Fresh, on. Yeah. And for the most part, you make those events free. So mm -hmm. it's free for them, but it costs they're somebody. Still, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So you always have that ready to roll as well. And then there's also the aspect of your advertising. Mm -hmm. So you do have you're making flyers mm -hmm. or you're purchasing something online, whether it be a Facebook ad or sure. whatever that may be. So you have that as well. So it's just like a business. Mm -hmm. You have all your different categories. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the pie. And you get to determine how you slice it up. We're going to give this percentage to advertising. We're going to give mm -hmm. this percentage um, to our maintenance, keeping sure. the building up to date, because that's one thing we never want to fall prey to, right. not maintaining the building. But then you also have, as a ministry, what we do is uh, our own giving. Mm -hmm. So we support other ministries. Sure. Um, and then we also, every single month, will have a project that we sow into, that we give to. That's not our church. Okay. So something else that's happening um, every month we'll give to. So let's go with um, one step past that, right? So um, a lot of churches out there are part of a, a larger network of churches. Mm -hmm. um, and in the restaurant world, you can call it a franchise, you can call it right. whatever you want, um, but a certain amount always goes back up to the next level up. Is that the same way with your church, or are you guys... No, not our church, but a lot of churches, if you're a part of a denomination, like yep. um, Assemblies of God, or you're in mm -hmm. a Baptist, or whatever, yes, so you do have a portion for most churches mm -hmm. that is going into a bigger fund mm -hmm. that also though does go back to help those churches. For sure, yeah. yeah. yeah for so sure. it's not like you're just paying the mafia but, to right. cover you, and you know that's not yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's you pay up one direction, and these guys may be and struggling covers, over here. It yeah, covers yeah, as an a whole. Umbrella. Yeah. Yes, right. Now, in regards to our church in mm -hmm. particular, no, we don't do that. Uh, okay, we are in complete control of our finances. So Good. we do give out though. We don't mm -hmm. give to a denomination that then right. determines how they use it. Uh, we choose ministries or projects mm -hmm. or something that we feel uh, we would like to be a part of that we give to. Gotcha. So then um, obviously a lot of churches out there um, put their, you know, staff on salaries or they pay them for the time hourly or sometimes it's based on uh, volunteerism. Sure. Um, in general, do you think it's more of a trend to uh, see salaries within the church? Or I see a lot more going volunteerism. So what, what do you see as more of the trend there? For us, volunteerism is just more of the trend that's kind mm -hmm. of been our uh, M.O. Okay. My, my idea was to create leaders within our church that had the ability uh, to create wealth outside of the church. Because Absolutely. what happens is whenever your full-time job is uh, let's say you work for a church, you're full time. Sure, and right. You're what you're a kids pastor at a very large church, and that is your full time job. Mm -hmm. They they that's what takes care of you. All of a sudden, you become don't worry about the dogs. Hey, uh, <laughs> you become a slave to the church instead of a servant of the church because that church is now your livelihood or that ministry is your mm. livelihood. Yeah. And some of the decisions that you would make right. would highly, highly affect you if, if I lose this, I lose my income. 
Right. It's a need versus a want at that point. Right. And so part of the culture that we have tried to create at Sheridan Mm -hmm. is that we are not slaves to Sheridan in regards to this as our full-time employment Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be, but that we're servants of the church. Now, do we have employees? Yes. We have a Parents' Day Out program Mm -hmm. that uh, we have teachers who are there. They're there all day, every day. So that is their full-time kind of income so they have to have a compensation of some kind you know it'd be wise not to have somebody there from 7:30 a.m. to 5:30 p.m. and not pay them yeah, um, yeah. you know but so there is that aspect to it there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. having your full-time job uh being at a mm-hmm. ministry or a church nothing wrong with that at all but um the trend within most ministry and most churches is um for volunteers okay so um when you get into uh, the past, you know, obviously all the tithing goes out and you guys, you know, work and, and do what you can. Um, you know, it obviously, and I, and this is not you guys, um, obviously it can be abused, right? And, oh, absolutely. And you're going to have, um, you know, guys selling snake oil or whatever you want to sure. go with it that route. So when you see those those bigger churches who are profitable and mm-hmm. who are doing well and, they're, you know, people are actually, you know, giving freely and doing yeah. everything they should— um, you know, and they're getting something different than what obviously the pastor is. Um, how do you view that in, in res- respect to what you do? Because, I mean, in reality, um, you know, I think Nick and I were talking about this. You know, there's a difference between, you know, the church buying, you know, a plane to go out to Africa and go help people and all that mm-hmm. versus buying a plane because I want to, you know, look nice whenever I go hit the Florida Keys. Sure. Right. There's a difference there. So um, as somebody who is, you know, on the upper echelon here, how do you view the, that lifestyle commitment? Well, here's the here's the drawback. Yeah. Most of the guys that you see that are being put on news mm-hmm. stations right. or whatever, those individuals, they don't make their money from the church. Those individuals made their money prior to being a pastor. Prior, Those individuals have businesses outside of the ministry. Most of the megachurch preachers that you would know are household names, such as Joel Osteen mm-hmm. or sure. Kenneth Copeland or so forth, those individuals actually are not paid uh, from their churches or anything like that. Okay. So, with that being said, somebody like the obvious is Kenneth Copeland. Everyone sure. sees Everybody that. Him. Yeah, yeah. He made his wealth kind of by sheer luck, if you would say, with some real estate. Um, mm-hmm. and it was like 100 acres that he owned that there was oil underneath. That was a personal thing. Money. Yeah. Right. So... Uh, all these guys are very successful businessmen, sure. apart from being very successful pastors. And so how do I feel about them having a ministry plane? Or It eh, mm-hmm. doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Um, if they're, I don't necessarily give mm-hmm. to those ministries. Sure. I give to Sheridan. That's where I go to church. Makes sense. But those people who are giving to those ministries, mm-hmm. they're not being forced to do so. And they know exactly what those ministries are doing. Absolutely. So therefore, I don't have an issue with it. Now, would I would I personally do it? No, I'd have my business mm-hmm. purchase the airplane. That's how I would do right, it. Right, right, right. But, you know, uh, everybody has different reasons for what they're doing. Sure, sure. So, Nick, you've been kind of quiet, man. Um, I've just been letting you guys go at it. I know. It's cool. We, you and I, uh, there was an um, interesting thing you and I talked about. Um, is that, you know, there's always going to be questions people have that they're afraid to ask your pastor. Before you were a pastor, you probably had, you know, a certain like, ah, I don't know. What is it that people are afraid to ask you? What (laughs) questions should I have that people are afraid to ask you? Well, it's really funny. 
I can be on the other side of a of a wall when mm-hmm. you know you can kind of hear people are yeah, talking absolutely, yeah. and i know the moment i walk into the room everybody straightens <laughs> oh it's one of the funniest and you know i'm a normal guy too that's you know it's really funny what's one thing that people would be afraid to ask me you know i i don't know but I'm sure there's something. Was there anything when, before you got there? There was something behind the veil. You weren't sure how it worked, and then you stepped in. And you're like, "Oh, these are the keys to the kingdom. I get it now." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's not as glamorous as you think. That would be okay. one thing. I, you know, a lot of times, um, I, I rem- before I was the pastor, mm-hmm. you are going to church. You show up. Sunday morning, say services at 11. You show up, you know, 10.55, and you get there, and you shake hands with a few people. You go take your seat. Service ends, and you leave at 12.15, and you go on with the rest of your day and the rest of your week. And so, you know, you see the pastor or the speaker for 35 minutes up on stage, and it's really good and all that, and you're just like, okay, that's what he does, you Mm -hmm. know? And then you don't realize, though, that Monday through Saturday, there's still things that are going on. And all of the work that leads up to that moment of when you're there for just an hour. So, I, you know, it's not as glamorous as just the one hour on stage when the lights are bright, mm-hmm. the cameras are on, all those type of things. Um, there's a lot behind the scenes. Absolutely. So how long, I mean, like, let's talk prep time, right? Mm-hmm. So um, clearly being on stage, you don't just get out there and wing it. Like, no. You know, no, even, that's not even a good this thing. podcast, I wing it. Decently <laughs> amount, you know, but we actually have conversations. Now, I'm winging before. it right now. No, no, you're good. Oh, I no, Nick and I uh, will will discuss questions of yeah. like, what's a good question? What should something we should be looking for? You know, so there's a decent amount of like pre just thought, you sure. know, concept going in, but nothing that's like you know hard written down or anything like that. Um, you know, how much actual prep time do you have for a sermon, or is there like a uh, do you uh, have sermons that you actually can pull from? Because, I mean, I imagine with a network out there, there's got to be people who already have, you know, ideas and sermons yeah. and things you can pull from. Oh, yeah. If if you're struggling for a sermon, you can go online and you can just type something in and you're going to find any sermon you yeah. want that you can pull from. So my kind of method is unique to me. It's mm-hmm. not something that I would advise necessarily other younger preachers to do unless they wanted to do so. But how I do it is, let's say, um, I'll give an example. Sunday... Last Sunday, I we're in a series over the life of Abraham. So I okay. preached a sermon out of Genesis chapter 21, and I finished that sermon. What I'll do is, Sunday evening, I will then determine what am I speaking on the following Sunday. So I'll have that topic in mind. And when you're in a series, mm-hmm. it kind of makes it you have a, yeah, you have a path. Yeah, you got to yeah, have a path. Yeah. And so... Let's just say I did Genesis 21 on this Sunday, and so then, therefore, I know next Sunday I'm going to do Genesis 22, right? Just kind of simple, following the the path. It's not always that simple. Sometimes you're hopping around topically. But Genesis 22, so therefore, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I am going to dive in to that chapter, and I'm going to learn everything I can about that chapter and the topics and the things that are presented within that particular uh, chapter. Mm. And then on Thursday, I'm going to kind of just 
let it all out. Everything that I have read, everything that I have studied, everything that I've learned, everything that mm-hmm. stuck out to me, I'm just going to jot it down on paper. And then on Friday, I'm going to take that big mess that I basically just vomited up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it in kind of an outline order. And once I get the outline order of it, then I will actually go in and type word for word what the sermon's going to be. Mm-hmm. And then when I type that sermon out word for word, then on Saturday, I will then put it into an outline to be able to speak it. So I have the mm-hmm. written transcript, mm-hmm. then I'll put it into an outline, getting ready to speak it, and then on Saturday evening, I will memorize it. And then on Sunday, I'll get up and preach it, and then do the whole thing Process again. all over again. So would it be fair to say 10 to 15 hours for You're looking at about 20 hours for 20 hours, 20 hours uh, for a good 35, 40-minute sermon. That's, that's a decent amount of prep time. Yeah, it's a good amount of prep time. Yeah. But you also, with the method, now my method takes more time. Sure. But the reason I do the method I have is because those sermons that I have transcripted, mm-hmm. I can always go back and use if I go to another church or if I want to put it into a book format. It's sure. already written out word for word. One of the things that I realized when speaking with notes is in three years, you don't remember what your note meant. It's right. shorthand. You're like, yes. what does that? Oh, it's tell story here. What story am I supposed to tell, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I transcript them. So it takes a little bit more time, but on the back end, it'll save me a lot more time down the road. Sure, sure, absolutely. You do the pre-work mm-hmm. all, all yeah. along the way, absolutely. Um, all right, so we're hitting right at the 30-minute mark. Um, I know, right? It flies, man. <laughs> so uh, let's finish out. We always usually do some kind of final thoughts, something okay. out that uh, you want to actually uh, you know, just press upon the people. So, um, you know, I'll fire over to Nick first because he's pretty much been silent all the time here. Um, <laughs> but in regards to somebody who, let's say, they eventually want to become a pastor, yes, um, we're going to talk the uh, the concept there. So, Nick, you're not quite there yet. You're still in the schooling concept here. Yeah, you graduated. obviously, yeah, Saturday, come next on, Saturday. Yeah. So you're you're working your way that way, right? So I what am. do you want to know for your next steps? Like, what are your final thoughts here, man? So, um. Jackson does such a good job of having an open door policy for those of us that are under him that are trying to learn and step into that next role. And so we have a group of what about ten of us? It's about ten, yeah, that are that have a desire to kind of you know grow in that area. So I guess kind of my where where I'm at, um, what I would want to know from you is when you decided to go to remote locations and church plant what would be your biggest don't do this and your biggest you must do this whenever you're changing location or starting fresh yeah as a minister a good question because change is hard People love to kind of just stay in the way things have always been we love being comfortable but it's whenever we're uncomfortable that we're being stretched. And we don't like the stretching process, but the only way you grow is you have to be stretched. You guys remember whenever you were kids and you were going through growing pains in your legs and it was very uncomfortable and you didn't like it but at the same time you were growing and so that's the way it is with anything in life anything you want if you want to grow financially um, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to stretch you but guess what at the end you'll grow financially it's that way relationally it's the same way with church ministry and so when it comes to planting a church moving locations change that it's like change right you have to embrace change 
change. Change is a part of the equation. And that's true for any type of leadership, any type of organization. Um, if you don't change and adapt, you become irrelevant very, very quickly. Like Blockbuster. You can be Blockbuster. There's still one. And there's still one. <laughs> and I visited that one <laughs> in uh, Oregon. Yep, I was yep, up yep. in Oregon. I was preaching up there in Bend, Oregon. Yep. It's a beautiful place. The mountains are just mm. gorgeous. And I was up there, and I was going back to my hotel, and I saw a Blockbuster. And you know what I did? Had to go. I went to Blockbuster. <laughs> Had to go. Talk about nostalgia. Right. You For know? Real. So... My point being, though, is you have to be willing to embrace change. But you have to be willing to accept failure because that's the key. You're going to mess up a lot. You're going to have a lot of failures along the way. And failure is never final unless you let it be final. Okay. And if you won't quit, you'll make it. There have been many times that we had made some decisions at the church that were bad decisions. And they were epic. When I say epic, I mean epic failures. But we moved forward and we pressed forward. And those failures strengthened us, gave us wisdom. You know, Henry Ford said that failure is just the opportunity to begin again with greater understanding. Mm -hmm. And okay. so when you start again, this time, you know, I shouldn't do that because that resulted in failure. And so embracing that and overcoming the fear of change, overcoming the fear of failure, do the thing that you fear the most, and the death of fear will be certain. And that's just something that I have lived by and that had been poured into me. Mm. And that would be my advice. Okay. So just to kind of sum it up, basically what you're saying is the thing that you would suggest is understanding that whatever you do, there will be moments of failure. Absolutely. And the only way to overcome that is to continue moving forward with greater understanding and perspective that you've gained through that. So trust the process. You've got to trust the process and you got to trust the Lord that the Lord takes our failures. That's good. And he somehow, some way always makes them work together for good. We don't see it in the moment. We see failure. We see, we see the mistake. But somehow, some way, we look back in hindsight and say, wow, look what God did in my life and the way he managed to pull that together. It's true. And I always like to look at, I'm a basketball guy, love basketball, and Michael Jordan, you know, the dude missed, I believe it's 9,000 shots in his professional career, lost over 300 games. But Michael Jordan's not remembered for the 9,000 shots he missed. He's not remembered for the 300 games that he lost. He's remembered for the six NBA championships that he won. Now, that's a lot of failures, 9,000 mm -hmm. shots, 300 games lost, but six championships is what he's remembered for. And he said that it was because he failed that he learned to succeed. Yeah. And so that's just kind of the mentality. And that, and that applies to every area of life. You're going to fail in every area of life, but if you won't quit, uh, you'll make it. Excellent. All right, so uh, what's your what's your final advice for anybody out there that wants to be a pastor one day? You know, let's say uh, you know you have that that young kid, twelve, thirteen, fifteen, looking up at you at the, from you know from the stage, and man, I think I could do that. I want to do that one yeah. day. What do you what do you tell them? So my advice on that end is, and I alluded to it earlier, mm -hmm. that you want to get yourself in a position in life where you can be a servant of the church and not a slave to the church. And when I say slave to the church, I mean a full time employee of the church. 
But if your income is solely based, which it's a great thing. There's a lot of churches that take mm-hmm. very, very good care uh, of their pastors they, with the housing and mm-hmm. all, kind, all kinds of great things, parsonages that they have. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you are capable of serving the church without being a slave to it. And unfortunately, churches are made up of people. And not all people are always going to like you at all times. And it's always possible for one church to ask you to leave. And if that church asks you to leave and they own your house Mm -hmm. and they have all your income, you put yourself and your family in a very, very bad situation. And so oftentimes what you'll do to prevent that situation is you will bow down to the powers that be Mm -hmm. within your church. And you'll do things that you don't feel like you should do, Mm -hmm. but you'll do them because, well, I got a family. I got a house. I got a house. I mean, where am I going to live? And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. from the practical side of things, there's all the different spiritual components. There's the education components. Learn, 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 grow, grow, Mm -hmm. grow. But I would always advise to find means of resources that are outside of the church. If your church wants to pay you, let them pay you. Nothing wrong with that. But don't be dependent Mm -hmm. and a slave to the church. Be a servant of the church. If the church wants to bless you, let the church bless you. That's an interesting way to think of it. I didn't even think about all that. So cool. All right, man. Well, um, I definitely appreciate you coming out. Hey, once again. thank you so much um, for having it was me. A good on. time. It's a very short drive over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. We'll have to do it again. Maybe have you on for like a sports. Thing. I love we'll just sports. Do yeah. Just I do a random lot, sports. I got a lot podcast. to say about sports right now, though. Done. Heard that. There's not really a whole lot going on there. <laughs> well, between yeah. the Black Lives Matter and the kneeling of the yeah, anthem and all that kind of stuff, thing. we could we could do that for another hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. for a while. Yeah. Hey, Jackson, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day oh, to come absolutely. out. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, stuff. guys. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Peace out. <laughs>